Today we're going to have fun. This is called Peter's Confusing Verses. Um, there are actually quite a few of them. Uh, we don't have time to look at all, but we'll look at some, particularly in one, one chapter. And, uh, uh, and, and, and look at that and talk about that. And, you know, a question that, that we get a lot, and, and you do too, or maybe you even have some of these questions, are why, did, why does the Bible say this? I see the grace in the Bible. I see it's all fulfilled in Jesus. I see what a wonderful, beautiful gospel this is. I see his love. I see his grace. I see all this stuff. But why does the Bible say that? Why does it say this? Or even in the New Testament, there are things like that. Peter's got some of those. Paul's got some of those. Um, first of all, before we get into this, uh, I'll, I'll tell you why. It's like, um, have you noticed how a lot of the uh, media sources... Now, uh, or I've noticed this, that I'll see something pop up and there'll be a headline. And like, oh, horrible, this guy just did something horrible. And then you look at it and you read the story and you realize that the context in the story is not really what that headline is saying. It's a sound bite. We get sound bites. And so we, so, so we hear those things. We hear these little sound bites and they get repeated this and that and the other. And a lot of times when you look into it, you find out that when you see the context of what they were doing and saying, they really didn't mean what people were trying to make it look like it means. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that's what happens. And, and a problem that we have had a lot of times is we've taken the Bible in sound bites. We've taken one verse out of here and one verse out of there. And that's why when you you try to help convince people or get into debates with people, um, they've got a verse for every verse you can bring out because there's lots of them in that book. And, uh, uh, and, and so we can do that with sound bites, but, but a problem that we have is we, we misunderstand a lot of times because we don't understand uh, context. And, and context, you know, there's basically three rules of, of, of this that are very easy to follow, and it helps us to understand this. And when you see it, there are really no violations in Scripture. Um, there might still be uh, uh, some now, but I don't know where they go, but I find that if I just give them time and just keep going in this thing, that it comes and it makes perfect sense, and it fits in just, just perfectly. Um, so, uh, first of all, the Bible itself, from Genesis to Revelation, it has a context to the whole overlying thing there is that there is a whole story there. There is a whole story of the fall of man and God, God with Noah and Abraham. Then there comes the law and the prophets and then it, then it all culminates with Jesus in the new covenant, the plan that God had from the very beginning, his original intent. So we see, if we look over that whole context, we see the love and the dedication of God to this creation of man that he made and we see that no matter what happened, no matter what uh, people tried to do or how much people messed up or whatever that God's plan was going to come to pass Jesus was going to make it and reveal to, to everybody how good God was and there would be redemption for a fallen uh, race of beings and then we see that in the whole story when you see it that way then when you get into the Leviticus, Exodus and Deuteronomy and, and, and those kind of things you understand that you're looking at some little uh, details there but there's a bigger story that's going on Jesus said the law and the prophets they're really talking about me and so there again 
by, by being just topical or being sound bites, we can pick out verses from there and we can make all kinds of weird rules and all kinds of weird religions and behaviors uh, out of those things. But we look at the, over, the overall context of the Word of God from beginning to end. And then, of course, we can rightly divide it and we bring it down to the New Testament. And the New Testament is this new covenant in the blood of Jesus. It is Jesus taking everything off of us, putting it upon him, him fulfilling everything, so there's nothing left to fulfill, absolutely nothing, no other sacrifice for sin, and that's the message that we see in the New Testament. Everything else in there goes along with that. But you can find certain little statements here, and it looks like, you know, well, you know, Paul gets a little mad and he wants to castrate guys, you know, and all that. Well, that was a soundbite there. That was one little thing that's not a doctrine for us, right? <laughs> the overall, and the reason he was so upset was there again, he was fighting for grace. <laughs> and he was, he was upset because there were some people teaching anti-grace to some churches that he had established and he didn't like that. So he... It got a little bit like Paul in some of those situations. But, but that doesn't mean that that soundbite is our doctrine for life. Um, and then, most of all, within that New Testament, which is revealing the goodness, love, and the grace of God, we have these particular books or letters, most of them are. And, and when we understand context, we, uh, which is who wrote it, who did he write it to, why did he write it, and when did he write it, what was going on, then all these things make perfect sense. If you take them out of that context, you can, you can take that sound bite and make it go anywhere that you, that you want to, and, uh, and, it, and it can actually confuse people, especially when you see the grace plainly revealed in the New Testament. You say, well, why does it even in the New Testament say this here? So, there was, look at a few of these examples in this one particular chapter in 1 Peter chapter Four, and the first one I want to look at is, is verse 18. This will be a good example to start off with. Verse 18 says, Now if the, righteous, if the righteous one is scarcely saved or barely saved, the righteous, this is blood-bought believers in Jesus, <laughs> if they are barely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Or, you know, what chance do they have? Now, this is where people have gotten the idea that some of us Christians are going to make it to heaven by the skin of our teeth. This is the idea that says that some of us Christians, even though we're believers in Jesus, we better be diligent and work hard and, and keep on the firing line and put our nose to the grindstone and don't let up and, because we still might not make heaven. Isn't that kind of what that sounds like? If the righteous are scarcely saved or barely saved, the righteous... Well, that puts us, I mean, once we got into, got into, in, into Christ, that, that really puts us to work. <laughs> because we don't want to be those that, that don't make it. If the righteous are barely going to make it, and I don't feel like I've been working very hard at this, maybe I better work harder to make sure that I get, get into heaven. That's where those kinds of ideas uh, come from. I heard one person in a church get up all excited, and he said, he said if you want to make it to heaven, it takes 100% of your, your, your work, your love, and your commitment, because 99% won't get you there. Well, that's nothing nowhere in the Bible, but where do they get that idea? From stuff like this, that the righteous, even, are, are, are scarcely saved. 
And that's, that goes totally against the rest of the spirit, the assurance of God, because the work of righteousness would be confidence and assurance forever in him. So what are we talking about here? Why did Peter say that? The righteous are barely saved. Well, he's certainly not talking about barely getting into heaven. So he's got to be talking about something else. And if you look at context there, very briefly, if I can do this very briefly, the context there was that Peter wrote this in about 64 A.D., somewhere around there. And this was, and, and, and persecution had been amped up all over the place. Now, it had been going on ever since Jesus. I mean, persecution killed Jesus, killed Stephen and so many others. James, the leader of the church of, of, of Jerusalem, had recently uh, been killed and and when the leader saw that it, was, that it made a lot of people happy that he got killed, he started persecuting more Christians. And uh, in fact, Peter and Paul themselves would die a couple of years after this letter was written because what was going on also was, so you had, so you had persecution of Christians from Jews. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in the Bible that, 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 that Jews were, were having them beaten and having them stoned and, you know, putting all kinds of... Uh, pressure on them uh, uh, physically <laughs> and uh, so that had been going on all this time and it was being amped up and then on top of that Nero uh, declares basically declares persecution on Christians the, the old story was when Rome uh, burned down Nero uh, people were getting upset at Nero there were rumors that he had done it himself and, and he was trying to divert that so he said no the Christians did it <laughs> And so they were like, what, the Christians? And so they all started uh, persecuting Christians. And so, so the Roman Empire, which was far and wide, you had this going on in all these places. Christians were looked down upon by these other people in, of, of the, the, the kingdom of Rome, which, which extended into all these other places. And Paul wrote in the in first, uh, first chapter, first verse, he says, this letter is to the diaspora, or those who have been dispersed into Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, all these places in Asia Minor, which we call now Turkey. So they're all in this other place, but it's still the Roman Empire. And, uh, and, uh, and so that was going on. Um, uh, and, and, and also in this time, because of, I want to tell you this, because of some things that he refers to and we'll look at, is he says, uh, uh, also in this time, there was this, this persecution that was, that was going on. Nero would die in, in about 68, uh, but, it, but the persecution would continue to go on. And, it would, and, and, and the Jewish-Roman wars had started. <laughs> I'll give you that. This was amping up problems with Rome. Now, also understand that Christians and Jews were not this totally separate thing like people see them now. Christians were a, a sect of Jewishness back in those days. That's what they were, they, they were seen as. The Jews w w thought they were poisoned because they were part of Judaism, but they didn't like what they were teaching, and so they kept trying to get rid of it. But they, but they, were, they were Jews, essentially, and they, they were taking in Gentile believers, and, and, and that's what was going on. But, but, but uh, the persecution that was coming upon the, on the Jews, they were also seen as Jews. They were. Basically, they did keep Jewish traditions in uh, so many ways, but they just believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of what they had been looking for. Um, so that was going on. And, this, and, and Jesus had told them uh, in Luke 21 and in Matthew 24, it says, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, 
said, says, then it's time to fly, flee to the mountains. He says, go, and I hope that you're not pregnant, or I hope that you're not, you know, whatever. He says, because hope is not in winter. He says, because whatever time, he says, you've got to go. Well, this happened, uh, this would happen in about 68, when Gallus would surround the city, the Christians remembered and believed the word of, of Jesus, and they saw these things coming. Jesus had told them, he says, this, this whole temple's going to be destroyed. One, every stone's going to be thrown down. They said, when's that going to happen? He said, in this generation. And he says, and when there's, when you, there's going to be wars, and there's going to be commotion, and rumors war. He says, don't be troubled, the end is not yet. And there were the Jewish-Roman wars going on, and we had uh, uh, John of whatever, Gil, Gil Shack or something like that up in Galilee, a lot of these guys came from Galilee. But he, he was one of the leaders up there, and he, he had had some great victories, and the Jews were thinking, hey, God's with us. We're about to overthrow Rome. There was another guy named uh, Simon Ben-Gior, who was, a, they had three different uh, uh, messiahs, <laughs> false messiahs going on at the same time. And they're all making war with the Romans. Now the Romans are just, now they're, they're, they, they've got more than they can handle, so they finally come down on Jerusalem. And they're going to destroy that thing. And they did. Jesus said that it was going to happen. And every bit of it happened in that generation. And it had begun happening when Peter wrote this letter. So let's look at, at uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, and let's look at verse 1 and just kind of and go through this very as quickly as we can, but with uh, being, being careful with it. Uh, let me get there. Okay. like I've got a lot to explain. Again, we're talking about context. Peter talks a lot about suffering. Just as a side note, this is where a lot of people get the doctrine that Christians are supposed to suffer, that this is what their life is supposed to be about. It doesn't say that at all. In fact, the suffering that they were, you know, for, for instance, people will they'll, they'll, they'll get sick and their body's rotting away and they'll say, well, I'm suffering for Jesus. Well, that was never the kind of suffering that was mentioned in the Bible. All the suffering that Peter's talking about was what, how people are treating them, the same kind of suffering that Jesus did, how people treated him. And so they're being treated that way now. And when he talks about them scarcely being saved, he was talking about, he says, you're going, you're, you're, you're going to come through this. He says, it's going to be hard but he's exhorting them, stay with it. He says, stay who you are. The first two chapters, he says these beautiful things like grace and peace multiply. He says, you've received this beautiful inheritance from God. You're, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You, you've, you've, you've trusted him as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a precious cornerstone. And those who don't believe says they stumble at these things. And he says, you've got this beautiful thing. And then he says, in all this suffering, he says, you guys, he says, don't be lawbreakers. If they're going to torment you, he says, he says, don't let it be because you're a bad person. Let them be ashamed because, because you're, you're keeping all the, all, all the rules. You're obeying the leaders, their leaders. You're, he says, husbands and wives, be good to each other. Um, brothers, love each other. Do everything. He's, and he keeps exhorting them that, that he says, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer as somebody who's done something bad. He says, let them know. That, the, that, the, that you who are suffering are only doing good. And he keeps them on that. And he says, as Jesus has suffered in the flesh, verse 1, arm yourselves with the same mind because he, Jesus, who has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. 
And he's telling them, he says, keep yourself from their lifestyles. Don't go into it. Don't become like them. They think it's strange that you don't act like they do. He says, but just stay who you are. Don't give them any reason to, to, to say that you're horrible people. And, uh, and he says, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He says, he says stay in the spirit here. And we go on down here. And he says, verse 2, he says, because he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the, lust, uh, in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Because we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing what the Gentiles do when we walk in lewdness, lust, and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil with you. Now, he's talking to these, 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 these Christians that are in these other places uh, uh, in, in the Roman Empire. Understand also, there are synagogues there. I mean, the Jews have been dispersed for many years along this time. They have left uh, Jerusalem and Judea, and they've gone to these other places. They have been persecuted over and over again in, in times past. And so when Paul would, and would come to these places, uh, there were synagogues there, and he would go to the synagogues. People would gather there. Gentiles would even gather there. They were community centers, uh, so to speak. And uh, that's how a lot of the Gentiles got into the church. But, but the Gentiles who are now not liking the Christians because of the, 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 basically the state persecution upon all who called themselves Christians were being looked down upon as enemies of the kingdom uh, of, of Rome. And so he said, they, they speak evil of you. You guys are weird. You guys have, are, are cult people. He says, you don't, you're not normal. You don't act like we do. He said, they speak evil of you. He says, verse 5, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, I want to uh, point out this one because this is one that people will bring out. And, and they talk about uh, this judgment and how we all give account. I want to point out something real good, and you can check this out and look at it. When he's talking about judgment, understand he's talking about works. And he's really going to refer here, uh, in a minute here, to, to even the Christians, the house of God being judged. But the judgment, that word judgment means, means the uh, distinguishing or the contrast. And, and, and what, what's being judged is the same thing that's being judged in your life and mine all the time. Is that he judges the works. You ever get this Holy Spirit tell you that's of the flesh, that's not, that's not going to profit you? <laughs> that's really not the way you want to go? <laughs> and here's the way of the Spirit and you always have this way to choose? <laughs> And he says, so, so to the Spirit. Why? Because, because he's judging our works. He says that there in a previous chapter in this same thing. He says, that, he says that, that every man is judged by his works. But he says, just like he says here, he says, they'll give an account who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel also was preached to those who are dead. So that they might be judged according to men in the flesh or what they do, but they would live according to this God in the spirit. In other words, works are judged, but not the human, the person. In fact, those who had died, the gospel was preached to them so that they would see the distinguishing would be made between, listen, if you believed all that stuff, that was, that's all flesh right here. Jesus has come. Here's the spirit. Here, here's, here's the real thing. And then people believe on him. The same thing that happens to us. The same thing that was happening to Jews that believed in the message of the apostles is, and Paul himself was that, that same way, that he lived according to the flesh even though it was very religious. 
but he says it was all flesh. And he's the one that talks so much about, about sowing to the flesh or, or, or to the spirit. And he says the flesh is all about the things of the outward. But if you sow to the spirit, you reap life. And sowing to the spirit is believing that gospel. Now, another thing about Jesus and believing, see, another thing that we miss sometimes is, when, is that Jesus was, 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 was talking about in some of the chapters I referred to is, is that he, he preached to them and those who believed what he said, those who believed him when he said that the temple was going to come down in that generation, those who believed him when he said they will surround that city, those who believed him that said that, you know, when, when he... When, when, when you look at the scriptures and you see that, that it would be burned with fire, and who believed him, when they saw those signs that he gave them, they fled. And historians of that day have documented that not one Christian believer in Jesus died when at least hundreds of thousands, some say maybe a million, People were killed in Jerusalem when it was destroyed that week when it was destroyed by the Romans. You see, not one Christian because they were already gone. They saw the signs and they believed. They were saved, if you will. So he says, you would live according to the Spirit. Now look at the next verse, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Now here's one we take that. I can look at that sound bite and I can say, it says right here, the end of all things is at hand. Do you know what that means? Jesus is coming next week. The world's going to be destroyed. The end of everything. We'll make signs and we'll march down the street. The end is near. The end is near. But there again, there was a context here. And he was talking to them about their suffering and what was going on. And he says, this is going to end. <laughs> You're going to come out on the other side. Hang on. <laughs> the end of it's coming. And it would in just a few years. So therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And all the exhortation, what we get out of this, is no matter what's going on, and even in this suffering that they were doing, he's saying, stay who you are, keep the love, because you're going to be tempted. <laughs> you're going to be tested to go back into the world. You're going to be tested to give up the love. You're going to be tested to, uh, you know, to fight one another. And he says, keep that love going. You know what one of the reasons that, that Jerusalem fell to the Romans? They had, they had a lot of people there. They had a lot of soldiers there to fight them. They, they probably could have, with, have, have withstood the attack. But they had three leaders there with three different groups of zealots, and they all started fighting each other. Rome, the Roman armies are around the city, and they're in the city trying, get, trying to defend it, and they can't agree on anything, and they all start fighting each other. They start burning each other's food supplies. Jew against Jew, brother against brother. Jesus said it would happen. He said they'd be brother against brother. They'd be betraying each other. And they were, they were doing all, the, all that, and they were fighting, and then they killed one of them. They killed Eleazar of Simon, who was one of the, le the leader of one great group of, of zealots. They killed him. I mean, they're killing each other in there. And Rome has just got them besieged from the outside. And finally, they, they bust down the walls and they destroy the whole city. And the smoke went up. Josephus says the sky went dark. The sun disappeared because of the cloud. 
And those who did not leave or they did not believe what Jesus said stayed and fought. Believing, like Jesus said, you're going to hear of false Christs, false messiahs. He says, don't follow them. They will come saying, I am the one. I am he. He says, don't follow them. And he had three false messiahs in there. They were called messiahs by their followers. The messiah. He said, don't believe it. And they led them to destruction. And they were, their bodies, history says that their bodies were burned in Gehenna, the valley which was the trash dump. They couldn't bury all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of, of people, so they just dumped them all in Gehenna, which some places, the Bible says the word hell, or almost every place. But they actually burned them in Gehenna, um, just like Jesus said would happen also. They, met, they burned the elements of the, of, of the temple. In 2 Peter, he says that. He says all the elements will be dissolved with a fervent heat. And we look for a new heaven and a new earth. And to this day, to this day, none of that has been restored. The temple's not been rebuilt, nor will it ever. Jews do no longer make sacrifice. On that day, sacrifice ended. God said it would. He said he hates it. And it ended. The religion still goes on. It's synagogue. It's teaching now rather than all the other things. Why do they not sacrifice anymore? All because of Jesus. Everything Jesus said was coming to pass, and these people believed it, and Peter was preaching it. He says, have fervent love for one another because love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received the gift, minister to each other. Verse 11, if anybody speaks, let it be as the oracles of God, etc., etc., uh, verse 12, beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you're partaking of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. Now, there's this big conflict going on. There's this, this, this thing that Paul had to deal with a whole lot, this, this, this Judaism and, and so on. In Hebrews, he's dealing with people that were thinking of going back into it and all that. And he says, don't go back. Says, says there, the, the, Jesus has come. There is no more sacrifice for sin. And, and they were dealing with this so much. And finally, what, would, what we would see at that time was everything that they had relied on would be destroyed and it would make that distinguishing. Jesus said it was coming. It was just going to come. It was going to be God. He had prophesied it through the Old Testament. He said the day of the Lord will come burning like an oven. Today's going to be a day of destruction. And it was. And Jesus kept warning them of it. And he sat at the, on the hill one time and he looked over the town. And he said, Jerusalem, I tried. I wanted to gather you to myself. You wouldn't come to me. And he cried over them. He said, it's going to be worse for you, Jerusalem, than Sodom and Gomorrah. This is coming. But he was giving everybody a chance. And he was warning. And everybody that believed in him was spared. The righteous were saved. When that happened, that became the end of what that religious stronghold had been up to that time. That became the sign of the end of that age, as they said in Matthew 24, when Jesus said, this whole thing's coming down. They said, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of the end 
of the age. And that was what they were looking for. The, they were, the Jews themselves, they were looking for the end of an age and the beginning of the, what they believed were, was the messianic age. And it has come with Jesus. Because what that marked, that that destruction was a total end of, 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 of that age. But there was much suffering that, they, that, that, was, that was happening leading up to that. He says, but if you're reproached for the name of Christ, then you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God's resting upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But don't suffer like, a, like you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other people's affairs. Yet if anybody suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Because the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Was there some kind of condemnation coming down upon the Christians and all that? No, there was a distinguishing, and he's making this the whole time. Let the judgment of your works be done. He keeps it, he keeps exhorting them to work to, 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 to live after the Spirit, live after Christ. Stay in that. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? In other words, if it's hard for you, but you're coming out, where will the ungodly, where's their hope? You know, I've had, when, let's go ahead and take it into where we, things we deal with day to day. When you're dealing with something hard, let's say it is a physical ail ailment, let's say it's, what, it can be all kinds of things, right? When you're dealing with that, aren't you glad that you know Jesus? I know when I went through the hardest thing of my life and losing someone I love very much, as I came through that in the days ahead, I would get up and speak and I would tell people, you know, really, so don't feel sorry for me. Feel, I feel sorry for those who don't know him, that don't know Jesus in these things. Because he truly was the comfort, the counsel. He was the friend. He was the everything. He is our secret power. He is the thing that causes us to rise up. He's the thing that makes us different. We rise and shine. There is a distinguishing. There is a difference that, that, that happens. I've got a, a, a close relative that is going through the same thing that I went through or experienced the same situation. And, and it's been quite a long time and they can't get through it. I'm telling this relative, I said, I just wish you knew more about faith in God because this would help you so much. I just wish you could understand. But he doesn't get it. It's just like, well, I just wish God would just, you know, make it all better. You need God to keep you in those times. And it keeps you from being bitter. It keeps you from being lost. He's telling these people, he says, you've got something to rely on. He says, and if anybody suffers according to the will of God, let them, let them commit their souls to him as if he's a faithful creator. So in all, those thing, all these things, what we see is this, that first of all, Paul's not telling us that we have to keep working hard excuse me, Peter's not telling us that we have to keep working hard so we can be saved. His context was a certain thing. They were suffering a particular thing that frankly, we don't really suffer here. Some nations do suffer similar things, but we really don't. What we suffer mostly is 
People call us names. <laughs> what do we do usually? We get up and we fight and we call them names back. <laughs> Peter would say to us, if he was right in our situation, um, don't do that. <laughs> keep your love, keep your peace. Let them see a difference between you and them. Right? That's a good word for us in this day. Let's don't, re let's don't return evil for evil. Let's don't be the mirror image of those who oppose us because, because we're looking at another kingdom here. And this is what we're relying on. And this whole thing that he promised, he says, he says we're looking for a new heaven, a new earth wherein righteousness uh, stands. And that came in Jesus. And that really, you know, marked a big breakthrough when all that other stuff was removed and all, and all that was really left was just, it was, it was Jesus. It's like Moses and Elijah, they disappeared and God says, now here's my son, listen to him. And so we have that in this day. And he says, and if it's hard for you, and I know it's hard. People tell me, he said, it's hard, it's hard. It's hard to not even get pulled back out into that world and get, and get down in the mud with these people and, and wrestle and struggle with them. Well, this letter could say a lot of things to us, too, and say, let's stay who we are. Let's stay who we are and let's let our light shine. And that's why he says, you know, people, he says, brothers, love each other. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as husbands. Honor your wives. It goes both ways here. He says, he says masters, be good to your workers. His workers, be good, to, be good to those that are masters. He says, he says honor, honor the leaders, honor the cops, all of them. He says, live, live a life of another kingdom here because you're different. And this kingdom is where righteousness dwells. And what we have in all of our troubles that are going on and all of the suffering that people experience and all the hardship and all the ugliness and all the mess, and it's nothing new, it's always been going on. They've got a lot of ugliness going on back in this time for sure. <laughs> Political, military, and name-calling and everything else. They've got all that going on. But in all these things, Peter would, 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 would exhort us to say, stay who you are. Jesus said, now remember... He says, uh, in fact, let me say it this way. Peter says, says, as Jesus was willing to suffer in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. Because if you will, you'll cease from sin. You won't get pulled over into that and be just like them. He says, when he was reviled, he didn't answer again. Why? Because Jesus knew that he wasn't fighting for the world's kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. And he would establish his kingdom, and he has. He planted it as a seed. And his kingdom has come, and of the increase of it, isn't this good news? The increase of it, there will be no end. And of the increase of peace, there will be no end, Isaiah 9. That mean, and that increase of peace happens, first of all, in me and you. I'm telling you, I'm excited because I'm seeing the body of Christ in the days ahead. And we've been living by sound bites. We're getting the revelation of Christ. And peace is in planet Earth, and it's in our hearts. And the kingdom has been planted, and it has been, been established in the Earth, and it's not going away. And it's going to increase, and we get to be a part of that. I don't know how to make it all happen. I don't know how to get all the countries and all the people of it to go along with it. But I'm excited about being this to whoever I come into contact with. I'm excited about telling good news. I'm excited about talking about love. I'm excited about talking about a God you can trust in all your troubles who, who will be your comfort, he'll be your counsel, he'll be your best friend, he'll be your guide, he'll always be for you, he'll always, he'll always care for you, he'll always be, be there to mentor you. 
I think if anybody can see our Jesus, they would fall in love with him, wouldn't they? Let's commit our souls to him. He's a faithful creator. And if we're going through any trouble, it too shall pass. The best is yet to come. Let's all stand up. So those were Peter's, some of Peter's hard verses. How y'all doing? Did I confuse you more or did you? <laughs> Hope it brings clarity. And overall, I want you to understand this, that none of these things, see, these little hard things, and you'll, you'll run into, you run into many more in, in different places. None of those things were meant to negate the grace of God. None of those things were said to counter anything about the love and the goodness, the grace of God, the unconditional love for you. None of these things were said to give us a set of New Testament rules to live by. They all go along in the context of grace. And that's why our message has become very simple. When we see this, what we see is grace. When we see this, we see a love that was committed to us so that he would come to a world that was his enemies, always opposing him. Even the ones that thought they were with him were actually opposing him. Always opposing him. Everything about them going against the ways of God. And he so loved them that he came and died gave his life. You know what's happening to us? We're starting to love the ones that God loves. Not just the nice ones. You guys are the nice ones. At least for now. I hope you stay that way. <laughs> right? Everybody's the nice ones until they do something to us. But we're establishing something that Nero couldn't make it go away. None of the false messiahs hindered it. None of the persecution has ever. They burned us at the stake. They fed us to lions. They've, they, we've been torn apart by dogs and, you know, in history. Nothing is going to stop this. The love of God has been planted. It's going on. And that's our claim to fame. They will know because of our love. Creation's looking for that manifestation. That's how they'll know. We're, we're learning to trust it. We're learning to esteem it as higher than anything else. There is a sh shouting to the mountain that's saying, grace, grace, grace. And this whole word from beginning to end speaks it and reveals it to us. And today, we have rest in our souls because of that amazing grace. And for that, we worship him. God bless you. Thank you.